morning, everybody. You are definitely social butterflies this morning. We can give you as much time as you want, but I've been told that the annual meeting has to start at 11.05, so the fastest sermon ever given will be Pastor Jeff's attempt today, so please work with me. You go long, I got to go long. All of you that are with us today, thank you for being here. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, somebody once said, who had a TV show, and I couldn't be any happier to be at church on a Sunday with you this morning. But it's a special Sunday because it's Vision Sunday, and because of that, there will be some church business that needs to occur at the end of the service. So if you are here today and you're visiting with us, then I just want to let you know, it's going to be a little bit special service today, a little shorter, a little bit more uh, cut and dry, I would say, than normal. And next week, it will all resume back to whatever normal church looks like, including communion uh, next week. But if you are here, at the end of the service, we will kind of allow you, if you don't want to stay for the budget review or the elder nominations or the meet and greet of the staff and some of the different things that are going to take place, if you need to kind of gracefully move on, we will provide uh, a little window for you at the end of the service to do so. But if you want to stay and find out more about the church, then you're equally as welcome to stay and kind of hang out. And I can tell you, if you do stay, there will be a special announcement, because everyone loves a special announcement. So for all of you who are like, I wonder if we should stay, I'm like, but you won't find out the special announcement unless you do stay. So you can choose whatever you want to do. Um, as you heard, yeah, yesterday was the first of our uh, annual golfing stuff that we had fun doing called Tea Time. It was great to be on a golf course with 20 people and not be arrested and not have any indecent exposure or anything, and I want you to let you know, what, who won yesterday, it was a group that was unknown, and they kind of came from, from the dust, Bill, sit down, this is a church, do not cause yourself, this is not the time to testify, Bill, testimonies are not available, this is the problem with the small church, we have way too much comfort, no, stop pointing, that is not kind of point like that, right? Didn't your parents ever teach you not to point? So me and my brother and John Jerzak and a guy from South Carolina who flew in who might have been a semi-pro. But I mean, other than that, it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. It happens all the time in church events. And next month, I want to let you know the ladies, we've also had a couple ladies, including my daughter, who's going to be joining us. So if you are a golfer or if you just want to know what the hoopla is all about, it's going to be the last Saturday in February, and I think we go off at 11.15 next month. So please, come join us, have fun. They won't come to church, invite them to a golf course and see what it's like to hang out with church people. We're pretty normal, we're pretty down to earth, but we really know how to have a good time, and it was fabulous. So thank you for letting us do that. Like I said, it's a special service this morning, Vision Sunday. I'm one of those people that if the Word of God has something to say about something, then I really find myself kind of just shrinking back and just saying, okay, what can I read? What can I study this week to say that the Word of God has something to say? Because it's kind of maybe like a little bit of a pet peeve, I got to be honest about it, when a church would say, let's talk about our vision for the church, right? I mean, we have this kind of understanding that when we talk about the church, we, we personalize it and we say, our church. But really, is the Word of God clear enough to say whose church it actually is? And I'm going to think, I'm going to show you this morning that it says pretty clearly in God's Word that Jesus Christ himself says it's his church. And because it's his church, the best part about this is if we, we're going to do this today, I think, in a way that maybe we've never done it before as a church. If we do it in such a way that every Vision Sunday from this kind of point moving forward, it shouldn't be a surprise. Because I'm going to try to lay out for you what I think God's word has laid out for me as a pastor to share with you. And then I'm just going to implore you that we should, we should kind of slowly back off the whole our vision for the church and try to honor what he has said he wants his church to do. Jesus said in 1 Colossians 1.18, He also is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning he is the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Then Ephesians 1.22 confirms, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells in everything in every way. So because of that, I see us more as servants, right? 
And as servants, the scripture even says this in John 13. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master and no messenger greater than the one who sent him. So I feel like that gives us the obligation to say, so what does the head of the church want from us? What does the head of the church ask us to actually do? And that being said, I think I'm going to share with you this morning some very cut and dry things that I think it asks us to do. But one of the things that asks us to do is to run the race. To run the race, right? Like every morning that you wake up, every day that you have an opportunity to live in faith, you have an opportunity to run the race or watch the race. And because of that, once again, it's going to be all scripture passages this morning, a lot of topical stuff. But just how simple is this? Paul says this in Philippians. Not that I've already obtained this. Or arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for what Jesus Christ took hold of in me. And one thing I do, I forget what is behind me, and instead I strain forward for what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So all of us who are mature, verse 15, should take such a view of these things. And if at some point you think differently, I pray too that God will make it clear to you. So this is the goal. The goal is to press on towards a prize. And I think it's pretty simple at this point. Then we should ask, what is the prize? What is the goal of the church? The goal of the church is to bring people to heaven, right? In my father's house, there are many rooms, right? He's making a place for us. We have to clarify what hell was made for. It was never intended for a human being to go there. It was made for fallen angels. What was intended and what was made for us was a loving father who has a home. And so the goal is to get as many people there as possible. And in order to do that, we must press on. We must forget what lies behind us. Now, this has been a really incredible year. Last year was very fast. And we're already 28 days into the new year. But in some of the counseling and some of the conversations I'm having with people, there seems to be this lock on us that so much of what's happened in the past chokes us out today. And I think that you're going to find in what I actually get to when I get to the four soils, like biblically speaking, this idea that the truth gets choked out. And a lot of what happened in the past needs to be let go, right? Because what's in the past is just that. It's in the past. And the only way we can appreciate the past is to realize it's behind us. And now what's in front of us, the day, not tomorrow, right? Because the Bible tells us don't plan tomorrow going here or tomorrow doing this. Today, what's in front of us? And just like waking up this morning, I always kind of try to thank you guys for waking up. The priority is to make God's word a priority, to make church, to make community a priority. So one of the things we talked about for the golf ministry was they asked me in the first setting, Pastor, what's your priority? What's your goal for this ministry? And I said that one person will come to Christ on the golf course this year. One soul that would not enter into this building. For some reason, their understanding of a church is so confusing. They will not enter in here, but they will gladly enter into a community on a golf course. That one soul that we have the privilege of meeting in the next 12 months will find themselves in heaven because as we find out today, one never equals one in the kingdom of God. I'm looking forward to sharing that. That's the parable of the sower and the seeds coming up in just a minute. So let me read this next verse. So what did God do? He equipped the church to do ministry. We're not going into this unprepared. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. So what is the church supposed to do? We're, we're, we're being designed and built to do works of service so that the body of Christ may then be built up until we reach unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God becomes mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves or blown here and blown there by every kind of teaching for the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him, of him who is the head that is Christ. Christ is the head of the church. From that, the whole body, us, joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up. So what we have is Christ is the head of the church. The apostles and all those who have gone before us have laid the foundation of what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to be. We're not going through this uninformed. We've been informed. And since we've been informed, the goal is to make infant men and women of God adults. 
okay? Move from milk to maturity. Move from milk to meat. And so one of the things I can tell you is, uh, we always talk about this in the baptism class, some of the ways you can challenge yourself this year is to take your faith from being something that you have that you're going to use for eternity, bring it out and put it down and say, I'm going to use my faith every day. Maybe this year you just five minutes of devotion before you start your morning, before you start your day, you just start every morning out with five minutes of devotion. Maybe this year you challenge yourself to um, something in the word of God that says pray without ceasing. That seems to be an overwhelming request from God's word. But maybe you challenge yourself to change the way that praying is. I'm kneeling here. I'm some kind of quiet supplication there. And to just talking with the Lord throughout the day. Talking through the Lord throughout the day. Find ways to challenge your faith this year. If it's been a long time since you've invited someone to church, that's pretty old school. Uh, surveys say 60% of people who come to church and stay at church are on a personal invite. It is the highest retention that a church has is on a personal invite. Otherwise, people will kind of come and go and look at churches as they do many other things. Whereas ambiance, setting, worship style, type of preaching, and all these other components play a role. But on a personal invite, they take the credibility of the individual they know and the life they see that individual living. That instantly gives credit to what the church that that person goes to attends. Challenge yourself some way to be the leader that says, I'm not going to hesitate to take up the full armor of God. And if that means challenging something that's questionable in society, I'm not afraid to do that. Right? That's something we see a lot in society today is that the church is actually pulling back from any type of confrontation. Pulling back from saying something that might be seen as offensive. I say this, if it says it in God's word, we say it. And we stand down and we say, that's between you and the Lord. If you want to hold me accountable for speaking God's word in love, then so be it. That's what I've been instructed to do. And what is the goal of this? To equip the saints. Now, I guarantee you this morning, if I went person by person, speaker by speaker, and asked you, Robert, do you feel like a saint of God? If I went and asked each one of you, do, Coral, do you feel like a saint of God? Most of our initial response are, saint? Hmm probably not really comfortable right a saint that's a isn't like paul and like apostles saint saint we call them saint. but this is what the word of god says right so this is that paradigm shift that we need to embrace the vision for god's church is that you would realize that he calls you saints and that our job as your leadership team is to equip you to give you the tools and the teachings so that you can then go out there and then wherever you're living and whatever you're doing and whatever place that God has strategically placed you into that you then become the hands and feet of God. Now that's a unique thing to think of is that for some people the only religion they will ever experience is you. So I yeah, oh boy is right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Darlene. So I am, I'm a big fan of honesty. So here's what I say. But if God says it, is it good enough for you? I am not telling you that you're a saint. I am not here to tell you a saint. I do not feel saint-like, although yesterday I didn't destroy any golf clubs, use any curse words or anything during the golf match. I do not feel saint-like. I feel sinner-like, right? But that's not what he calls me. That's not what he calls you. And so if we're going to understand the vision of the church, you need to understand something, that every time I get up here and speak, or Bill gets up and speak, or Rod gets up and speak, the, and the entirety of everything we study and do for one week is to remind you that this is all equipment for you to take when we leave this building and you go be the church. Church is Monday through Saturday. Okay? This is more like a refill Sunday. This is just when we got to recharge that, you know, Tesla battery, right? You, you can't go forever. You've got to plug into something. So you need Sunday because we got to recharge. But what are we recharging for? To do acts of service. To go, to make, to baptize, and to teach. This is the exciting part about a vision service for me. Like every year, if you're a pastor, like I am the least, those who know me, Creative things just don't flow for me. That's just not my call in life, okay? I am black and white, 90 degrees, old school, Southern Baptist. God said it. It's good enough for me. And I ordered the same food at the same restaurant. I went to Don Jose's for 12 years, and I ordered the exact same potato skins and chicken from the same waitress who knew me and saw me and said three iced teas and two salsas and never asked a single word because that's all I got was the same thing every single time. 
this vision does not change. The beautiful thing about a world that we're living that's constantly fluxing and changing and oh, this ebb goes this way and now we feel we're going to go this way and oh, the world doesn't like this and now the world doesn't. God's word is steadfast. Don't you need that? Don't you guys need a place to anchor your boat in the harbor and say, how am I supposed to rest? It's so up and down and up. I'm seasick in my own home. You anchor into the word of God and it just goes like this. Right? Who calms the storms? The guy who controls the storms. Why is he not worried in the middle of the storm? Why is he taking a siesta while everyone's like, help and buckets? and Because my God, my Father, he knows the storm. He rebukes the storm in his own words. And the storm stops. And yet we live in this world and we don't feel like it. And we're thinking... Because he's trying to train you. He's trying to equip you to go do something. You say, well, I have this infection. I have this thing. You have been that infection. You have the disease for a reason. God's going to train you and use you. And the skill set that comes from that is going to make you something different than what you could have been before. It's all to equip the saints to do ministry. Pastor Jeff, time out with this whole ministry. Like when pastors talk about ministry, it's like this all-inclusive blanket. Church, it's the all-inclusive blanket. Like, people talk about worship sometimes as though worship is just singing. Eh? Let me share with you a different concept of biblical worship. An umbrella. Worship is everything over us. And then every single one of those little components of the umbrella, those little arms, reading God's word, praying, serving, tithing, giving, that supports it. Everything we do is worship to who? To God, to our Father, who has asked us to do what? He's equipped us to go do ministry to the world around us. Why are we so offended by the world around us? Why is it so difficult to invite them into church? You know, I can't invite my friend and they're kind of wild and they might blurt something out or say, why is that offensive to us? That's the whole point of why we're here, right? It's the old concept. Is the church a hospital or a hotel? Is it like a social club or is it a place where sick people come to get well? All of us were sick at one time. Some of us are still sick and dealing with things that are our lifelong thorn in the side. We need to remind ourselves every week that we have a job to do and we got to jettison what's behind us. It's behind. And moving forward, beseech ourselves to what Romans 12 says. That you present your body a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to who? To God. This is your rightful act of service. This is what he's calling you to do. But I, but I was playing golf yesterday. Yes, but were you playing golf for the Lord? That's a weird thing. I'm playing. Yes, you can because who gives you mobility? Who gives you flexibility? Who gives you the ability to be social and interact with other people? And I guarantee you there's going to be times in that golf cart where ministry can happen while you're sitting next to someone, especially yesterday waiting 30 minutes to hit the ball between the shots, you know, and you're hanging out with someone. We, we invited guys who haven't been to church in two and three years. There were guys at that event yesterday that haven't been to church in over two years. And listening to them talk on the green and listening to, hey, other guys were invited. Hey, glad you could join us. Welcome. You know, I'm, I'm such and such. Uh, where do you go to church? He's like, I go there. And he's like, I've never seen you there. And he's like, well, we haven't been able to go since COVID. We kind of run into this thing. Well, what happened? That's just kind of embarrassing to go back now. And the guy said, hey, don't worry about it. Just come on back. Look at these guys. Look at all. We, we want you. Come on back, right? Equipping the saints to do ministry. That's ministry? Yes, that's ministry. The restoration of a believer is ministry, okay? The restorative work of bringing someone back into the fold is ministry. People come and go for a lot of different reasons. Matter of fact, uh, someone called me this week, and in a couple of weeks, they're going to come, and they're going to say their goodbyes to the church, and they asked me if I would, like, ordain it and pray with them and do it. Absolutely. There's a way to leave a church that's biblical, there's a way to understand what God has given us in a church that's biblical. And saying hello and saying goodbye is all part of the big picture. But when we do it and we trust God in such a way that we take children into men or children into women, when we change the fact that God said, build up the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, hey, that's a pretty good cause. The gates of hell are, are pretty rambunctious right now. They're shaking, right? They're trying to release all they can to kind of say, hey, over here, distraction over here. But the vision of God's church is simple. Throw seeds and let the Spirit move. Throw seeds and let the Spirit move. 
the whole parable of the sower and the seed is extremely important. I'm going to go over it again proficiently here. But the parable of the sower and the seeds is very important to us because it reminds us this idea of making someone a believer or teaching someone to believe is not what it's all about. Your job is to throw seeds. Every time you share your testimony, every time you live godly, every time you do something that makes someone think, what was that all about? You're throwing seeds. And when you throw seeds, different things happen. Let me read from you from Matthew 13, the parable of the sower of the seeds, and then we'll quickly review the status of that. Moving good. The sower and the seed, Matthew 13, NIV. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, and large crowds were gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore, and then he told them many parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering seed, some fell along the path, and the birds of the air came down and ate it. But some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered away. They had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, and it grew up but was choked out by the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, and thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Jesus replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and whatever they have in abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Verse 14, and in them is fulfilled a prophecy from Isaiah saying, you will be ever hearing and never understanding. You will be ever seeing but not perceiving. So the soils represent something. The soils represent the heart. And although it sounds kind of passive in nature, the work of throwing seeds is still quite tedious if you think about what a farmer has to do to throw seeds. Unfortunately, when he throws seeds to this first path, it says that the birds of the air literally come down and steal the seeds away before it even has a chance to even germinate in the soil. It then goes on to say that this idea of this being stolen, the word being stolen, Matthew actually uses his word, the wicked one. And Mark uses in his word, Satan, the one who hides the truth from them. It is stolen away. Sometimes the most beautiful things that you share with people and the things that you give to people, and you think, man, that's going to really be a powerful tool to them. It is stolen from them before they can even understand it or even know what was given to them. But you never stop sowing. You never stop. You simply trust that God's going to use that effort and you keep sowing and you keep throwing seeds and you keep sharing your faith and you keep inviting them and you keep going to church and telling the Lord, I'm praying for this person. Now some more seed falls and it falls among the rocks. I think there's probably more rocky soil now than ever before. And the problem with rocky soils is it limits how much soil the root can actually bear down into it. And because it can't bear down into it, as soon as the sun comes up, right, as soon as the heat comes on them, as soon as someone's challenged by something, by a religious comment or something like that, as soon as they're going to be ch uh, challenged or questioned for their faith, that sun that comes up on them then goes down and burns their roots, and quickly they fade away, the sun blows on them, and they lose their holding, and they disappear. This idea of what they have is taken from them, and what, they don't eat, what, they've, what they've even assim assimilated for their own will be given to someone else. Look, there's no U-Hauls behind a hearse, right? You guys want to know about hearse business? We can talk to Tommy about Tommy, do any of the hearse come with a U-Haul or trailer? No trailer hitches. Not even a trailer hitch, okay? So whatever you have in life, it's going to be everyone else's. You can set up your will. You can set up all this and that. But everything that you're currently working so hard for will just be fodder one day. Okay? It's going to be someone's garage sale or my, me and my wife's find at Goodwill. We'll find it later on and appreciate it. But chances of your family ever appreciate it. So here's what's really important for you. The legacy of heaven. The legacy of faith. If you want to leave something tangible, if you want to leave something worthwhile, sow the seeds of faith continually. Don't worry about what happens. Don't ask why. Forgetting how many seeds you've thrown before. You continually sow, knowing that God is equipping you and God has given you a vision because that is the primary call. Go, make, baptize, teach, and invite as many people as possible to come join us in heaven.
The third type of soil reminds us that it's a difficult thing throwing seeds. It's a difficult thing to know that so many of these seeds, these potential beautiful things are being choked out. And that's literally what this says. The thorns and this thing refer to the idea of something that chokes them out, right? They, they, they cross over the actual breathing path as the root is trying to come up. The, the, the weeds and the thorns, they grow over and they choke out. They choke out the sun. They choke out everything. And how many of us have seen this happen in someone's life when maybe an addiction or some type of relationship or some kind of thing comes in and it chokes them out from having this little bloom? They start to go and God starts to call them and they start to see some traction and then something comes up and it just chokes them out and they don't know how to get free from it and they just succumb to it. And it's a brutal thing to watch, but you know what, church? You've got to keep throwing seeds. Why? Because eventually the seed is going to land on what the Bible calls good soil. Now, I don't know what good soil is or bad soil is. I just know that i got to throw seeds and eventually it will land on it. But the wonderful thing about good soil is simply this, that when it lands on good soil, okay, it's not just that it will land and it will germinate, but the, the propensity for a, a percentage God gave us on this, he said, and when it germinates, it germinates 100 60 or 30, which means one person germinating will germinate 100-fold times more salvations and conversations about the Lord. And I think this helps you realize something I mentioned to Rich or somebody last week. So few people will ever lead someone to the Lord. That's shocking. I mean, I literally think percentage-wise, about 10% of traditional believers will ever lead somebody to the Lord. Here's what you're missing by that. Just leading one person to the Lord doesn't mean that you just led one person to the Lord. It's physically impossible to think that one equals one in the Bible because your numbers to work with here are 100-fold, 60-fold, and 30-fold. And the order is not 30, 60, and 100. It's 100-fold first. So what that means is incredible to you. That means that when you quantitatively throw seed and God allows you to be part of that salvation in somebody's life and one person you know comes into faith that that person knows this person and that person knows this person and this person knows that person and that person really this person and it begins the dominoes and they begin to fall and it may take a week it may take a month it may take a lifetime but as those dominoes fall that one seed exponentially affected a hundred other people so how valuable is one soul to the heaven, to the kingdom of God? It's crucial because one never equals one. So it's worth your struggle. It's worth your strain to throw that seed out there and try to find that one person that will come into faith. And then once you find that one person, you labor with that one person and you struggle with that one person because they now are the essential for the next 15, 20, 30, 60. You don't know where it's going to go, but you do know because the word of God says it's going. And if you happen to be one of those people in your family that's been pulling on the strings to all your family waiting for it to keep pulling, keep trusting that God is working on it. Because if this is God's word and he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it, then I think he gave us the percentages because we need that kind of motivation. If he said, well, if you lead one person to the Lord, then one person might lead another person to the Lord. So good luck with that and see what happens. Right? He's saying, no, it's worth it. When that one seed lands, a good soil will germinate something that's exponential. I don't know about you, but if you've ever underestimated something only to be surprised by what it actually produced, this is a great thing. Pastor Jeff, is there anything else? I appreciate the soil, a little pep talk. It reminds me what I need to do. But that just seems so passive in the whole throwing seeds. Is there ever any other opportunities in faith for us to do some type of work? Has God ever clarified any other way that we are involved with salvation? And I'm glad you asked because there is one final passage. This is from Jude. This is fabulous and uh, a bit scary. Dear friends, Jude 1.17. Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold you? They said in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. Now, before I get to the rest of the passage, does it feel like people are following their own ungodly desires right now? Okay. So at some point when Jude gave this, that wasn't the thing. But reading this today, we're like, whew. By the way, every generation in the Bible thought it was the end. Quantitatively, you can study God's word and read that every generation thought it was the end and every generation was wrong. I think we're far enough down the line at 2,000 years where we think, well, we got to be right. Church, it may get a lot worse before it gets better. But this factoring is that when people start to follow their own desires, which that really seems kind of in our face right now as a society, 
Here's what it says. These are the people who will divide you, and they will follow mere natural instincts. They do not have the Spirit of God. But, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and keeping yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life, this is what it tells you. Be merciful to those who doubt. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But save others by snatching them out of the fires. And finally, show mercy with mixed fear, having even hating the clothes stained by corrupted flesh. So let's talk about that first one. Be merciful to those who doubt. Mercy full, not mercy less. Okay? We're often offended by people that offend us when it comes to our faith. We're often put off by people who say things that are in God's face. But if I'm not a believer and I'm acting like a non-believer, that should not be offensive. That should be an insight to you to say that's ministry potential, right? The offense should be when a believer is offensive to God. If a believer has no problem in using God's name in vain, that's time for a good old-fashioned Matthew 18 talk. Go to him as one, go to him as two, and then bring an elder as a third and say, seriously, this has got to stop, right? There's ways that we can do these different things. But to be merciful means to understand that when someone exposes themselves for being not a believer, that's not an offense to you. It's a reminder that you once had an offense to God, that you once too were separated by God by your sin. And somehow, some way, someone showed you mercy and you got to cross the bridge to the other side. Now, in that same capacity, step back, humble yourself and pray and say, Lord, allow me to be inserted into this situation and be merciful to this person. You want to really pour hot coals on someone's head. The next time someone flips you off or tries to cut you off on Newport Boulevard trying to squeeze in because that stupid coffee shop has a line microdose with cuss words on their coffee thing and everyone has to go stop and pay money to have a cuss word on your coffee. And then they cut right in on top of me. I am the worst with that. Ask my wife. I am, the, I am seconds away from being road raging driver at any given moment, okay? And one of the things I constantly have to remind myself is how does that look different in the car to someone else? When and how that turns into an accident or something, how is it going to look any different if I act in the same way? Being merciful is a conscious decision to say, I understand what I feel, I understand what my impulse is, but I have to pull back and say, but is that godly, Right? I'm a senior pastor. I'm, a, I'm a, someone that people are watching. I'm under scrutiny and my family's under scrutiny at all time. Is that appropriate behavior? And that's one of the greatest checks that holds me in check is that I say, no, it's not. And I don't want to be that way. And it's a constant struggle, just being honest with you. But in the same sense when it tells me, but there's others that you have to go and you have to snatch them from the fire. Think about that. I mean, I don't know about you, but as I drive around town, I see certain people, you know, certain corners, and sometimes I have no feelings at all towards them. I also work at the police department, so I know some of them. But sometimes I drive around, like last night me and my daughter were coming home, and there was this, this lady, and she wasn't standing with the sign. She was, she was tired, and she was just sitting Indian style, no sign, just head down at the end of the freeway. And it bothers me. It bothers me as a human being to drive by that. It bothers me to think that we all drive by that and think, what did they do to deserve that? Like, they did something to deserve that. That could be any one of us. That, that could be any one of your kids, right? But that woman represents somebody's family. That woman represents somebody's hopes and dreams. That woman represents a lifetime of energy poured into somebody. And it bothered me as I drove by that. I thought, that one bothers me. And I just drive by. Why? Because we're callous to it, Right? But then I read this passage and I'm like, but there's some that are in the fire. They're in the fire, right? There's no, there's no hope tomorrow they're going to figure it out. They're in the fire. And when God touches you and says, you, saint, I'm, I've equipped you to do this. Dig in, reach down and pull that one out. Why is our response, why me? Or gross? Or heck no? Or I can't? I'm not saying this year is going to be any easier than last year. And I'm not saying being a Christian moving forward is going to be any easier. I think in a lot of ways being a Christian is going to become exponentially more difficult. And I think that as we as parents and grandparents look at our children and try to bring comfort to them, the reality is we're going to be thinking, what are we actually releasing our kids into? I pray for the families that are raising up kids in this generation. Right? It was a lot simpler in our generation. We had to be home when the lights came on. 
That was it. For no other reason, because that's what our parents wanted. And we ran home while those lights were flickering, right? Now I want my kids home at 2 o'clock. Hours before the lights go anywhere else, right? You know, now my even grown kids, I still want to track them and know where they are. And I'm thinking about all the different things in life, and I'm thinking, i got to be merciful, i got to be merciless. And then the reality is, but there's sometimes church where i got to set the mercy aside, and I've got to be proactive. You've got to jump in. That person needs, and they don't have time to explain why they need. They just need, and you know they need, and you need to dig in. Rolling the window down and saying, can I help you, is kind of already a given. Roll the window down and say, what do you need? And I will be right back with it. When they say, I'm hungry, a lot of times money doesn't help them. For the record, money never helps someone standing on a street corner. But the next time someone says, I'm hungry, say, what do you need? Okay, wait five minutes, I will be back with that. And then go buy them that food, figure out how to get back there safely, and then hand it to them, and then pray with them and say, I'm, I'm really sorry that you're having this day. I'm praying that God will bless this meal for you. And if you need anything, there's a couple of resources in Costa Mesa I know of. Let me know if I can help. You go out of your way when God tells you and when God points you, because for those you don't know. And here's a cool thing about what the Bible says. Some of us have entertained angels and not known. Who are we to say that we're not angels? If we, can't, we can all agree that we're not saints, but he says we're saints. How do we know how it's all working? You see, this is what's dangerous about us. Remember what happened in the garden? We had everything that we needed in the garden. Everything. Except for one tree was said, do not eat from that tree. And how do we respond today when it says, you can open any present in the house, but don't open the red one? What's the only present that's open the day before Christmas? Because that's who we are. And that's what we do. That's why we teach a two-year-old not to be terrible, because that's who we are. That's what we do. And God says, you can have everything you want, and it's perfect. Just don't touch this one tree. Why? Because when you eat from that, you're going to think something that's not true. What are you going to think? You're godlike. You're going to think that you know how to solve things. And man, did Eve sabotage us when we put that in our brain. And we're still reaping the repercussions of thinking, I know how to deal with this. I'm going to lean into my own understanding and I'm going to solve this problem. And then Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, don't ever lean into your own understandings. That's where the problem comes from. You are the problem. I am the solution. Just hold your hands out and say, Lord, why, why do I struggle with this? Because the soil is consuming all these seeds and it feels so frustrating. How many seeds will I have to throw? It doesn't matter how many you have to throw. You throw until one hits. Because in that one, it's going to be 30, 60, and 100 fold of the people that it will affect for the kingdom of God. So keep throwing. Press on. And ultimately, be careful. Okay? Be careful because there are others that you've tried to help and you've been trying to help and you've been trying to help and now they're corrupting you. That's when it's time to take the shoes off. I love you. I've tried to help, but with God as my witness, I can't anymore. Because to, to be corrupted by your life, you're corrupting me. It's starting to bring me down into it. And then when you want a different path and when you want to go a different way and when you want to hear and see something different, I'm available and I will come. But until then, I leave you of your own volition to refute God and live in such a way. I can't. And I tell you what, that's probably one of the hardest things to counsel parents who have a prodigal and realize that they're chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing that prodigal. Because that prodigal represents a failed parental situation. Amen. It's not a failed parental situation. It's the, it's the evil one who comes to choke it out. That's the evil one's job is to come and choke it out. And your job is to trust God that that, that, that kid's going to wake up one day in the pig slop and go, wait a minute, in my dad's house right now, slaves eat better than this. In my dad's house right now, even the worst person in my dad's house is doing better than this. Why am I in the pig trough? Why am I in the pig? You know what? I'm going to stop asking why, and I'm going to go home. And I'm going to work it out with my dad. And as the prodigal reconciles to the Lord what he's done and how they've done it, he is now able to be reached by God. And as he comes home, the father sees him at a distance and holds up a sign and says, Stay away. You smell. 
and your inheritance has been given to someone else, and I don't know you, and we shut your phone off. No. The father sees the prodigal at a distance, recognizes who the father, and finds himself running. Running. When's the last time you ran for anything? Let's be honest here. We don't run, especially like after like 20 years. Josh, thank God we have Josh. One person left running. Josh, you're running for the whole church, by the way. You, you run. The rest of us, we ain't running for anything, right? Let alone running to the kid that just sabotaged your life, running to the kid that's broken you down. See, we ain't running. We're turning our back. No, he says he runs to him. And then he lavishes him. And then he clothes him. He, does, he goes so overboard that the kids that were at home that honored him are starting to get what? Jealous and angry all over again, right? We don't have to teach people how to be bad. We have to show them that there's a different way because that's who we are. How dare someone get theirs? How dare someone hit their drive 250 when I only hit mine 235? How dare someone make an eagle putt with the brand new putter when I paid $500 for my putter. I didn't make any eagle putts. But you got to let it go. Make peace with it. Otherwise, there'll be war between the sanctions. Church, one final doxology from Jude, and then I'm done, and I'm close. That's 11 o'clock as good as it's ever been for me. If, if faith was easy, everyone would do it. You know, right now in America, there's a zillion people that call themselves Christians. Does it feel like there's more Christians in the world or less Christians in the world? Okay, so something's wrong with this. Because if more people now are saying they're Christian than ever before, but where we go and how we see things happening seems to be indicative that something's wrong here, right? It's not easy. If someone ever told you, come to Jesus, give your life to him, and everything, best life ever, and all the stuff you wanted, and all your problems, someone ever told you that on behalf of whoever told you that, can I apologize? Can I tell you right now on behalf of every minister that's ever spoken that lie to you? That is not only not the truth, but that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. How many of you have come to Jesus, given him your life, only for a firestorm of lightning and crashing and thundering as your family starts to be torn apart because now people in your family and lines are being drawn because there's demarcation and saying, I can't go there anymore. I can't drink that anymore. I can't watch that anymore. And you all of a sudden become ostracized within the world that you were once living in. You didn't come to faith because it was easy. You came to faith because it's true. Don't forget what it means to you, Okay. It means that one day, when you take your last breath, you will not experience the sting of death like the world does. When you take your last breath, like those eight men of God that our church gave up last year, when they took their last breath, they woke up and they were with their Lord. I was just in this service last Sunday after church as we said goodbye to Joe Vieira, a godly man who lived a godly life and had a lot of fun golfing with his friends. But it was a pleasure to tell that group of people, many of them not believers, Joe has never been more home than he is right now. And it'd be inappropriate for you to miss him because he's not missing. He's home and he's waiting and you will see him again and you will see John right? and you will see Merv and you will see Ben and you will see Don and you will see Terry, and you will see everyone that means something to you because they are waiting for us, because that's part of the excitement of what we're waiting for, is the reunion one day of the saints, the affirmation that what we labor for is worth it. So forget what's behind you. What's behind you does not have to make you or break you. It's part of who you are, but it's behind you. And pressing on for what's in front of you, throw seeds. Share your faith. Go, make, baptize, and teach. And then next year, when another Vision Sunday comes around, you don't have to wonder, I wonder where we're going to go. And what, We don't change. It is the same. It's immutable. It was, it is, and it shall be. This is what the Lord has commissioned us to do. And in this life, you will have tribulations. And in this life, it will be difficult. And in this life, you will have sickness and affirmity and all kinds of other things. But take hold of this. I have overcome that. And 1 Corinthians says there's no temptation for you now in Christ that you cannot find a way through in me. I will walk you through it. You may not like it, 
but I will walk you through that cancer. And you will be a different person because of what you're experienced in that cancer has made you. And I need that because other people are going to go through that and they're going to be like, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. I'm like, hey, the sky has fallen before, go talk to Jeannie. Go talk to Cindy, okay? The sky has fallen on people before, they've walked through it and they've seen God walk them in and out of it. Go talk to someone who's been there and done that. And now realize this is the job the Lord has given us. I'm closing with a doxology, which is way old school for those of you who like these. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the one and only God, our Savior, be all glory, be all majesty, be all power, be all authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore, may you too walk with the Lord. Father God, I pray this morning and that as you bless the church and use the church that we would simply make peace with the fact that this is what it is. And we are who you've called. And whether we believe it or whether we understand it or whether it makes sense, you called us and said that we're saints. And you said there's things that we can do that you're going to equip us to do that no one else can do. And somehow through that equipping, um, I'm going to be able to share faith. I'm going to be able to show faith through my testimony, through what I understand about God, and lives will be changed forevermore. And the lives that will be changed are not going to be a one-for-one ratio. This is an incredible God-fearing ratio that one life could affect 30 people, or one life could affect 60 people, or one life could ultimately affect 100 different souls. Father, may we never underestimate the value of our faith. May we never underestimate the value of struggle and strain and what it actually means. And may we embrace this concept that, yes, It is all difficult at times, but if we consider it all joy for who we're laboring for, then under that umbrella of worship, then even the act of singing or the act of studying or the act of praying, the act of reading God's word is a physical act of worship to you, the Almighty, to you who has provided a way out in sin, to you who has built a bridge to an island that we were left alone on to die of our own volition, to you who has made a way for all eternity. Father, may this morning, if there's someone in this house, someone that will be listening online, whenever this message goes out in the time-space continuum that it will go out, if they don't know that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, that I pray that this morning they would say this simple prayer. It's the same prayer. It's been said a hundred different ways, and not one of them is right and not one of them is wrong, but if you would just Say this to the Lord, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I receive you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. May your spirit guide. May your spirit lead. Help me today to realize that there's so much more to life that if the spirit of God was speaking to me and showing me that I could be and live. Thank you this morning for everything that the cross represents that a symbol of destruction, that a symbol of death can mean life eternal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us while we sing this song, this last song of service, and sit down. If you're going to stay, be seated. If you need to leave afterwards, that's fine too. We understand.
We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross and he rose up from that grave. My God, still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Let's sing, we are the beggars. Cause we, we were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. That again, we were. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Amen, church. We're so glad you were all here this morning. If you're here for the meeting, please be seated. And for those of you that need to leave, we understand. Come back next week to find out what we're going to do next. Because we don't even know. Here we go. Give. I'm going to put.